Hey dads, you're listening to Abba Father Podcast, where we discuss how the Bible and theology informs and equips us as parents. We believe that the more we learn about our Heavenly Father and apply His teachings, the better it makes us as dads. And in this episode, we are continuing our series uh, called Bad Dad. It's when we mess up and we learn from our Father how to make it right. I'm Matt. I'm Brando. And I'm Cameron. And in this episode, we're going to talk about shame. Nope, there's Jessica. And Quest. Hi, Jessica. She can't hear me. No, she can't hear you. <laughs> Not in here. Is it wave it, everybody? Poo poo. That was her input. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Close the door, please. Can we can we leave that in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First off, we want to start with some definitions um, before we get into the story about what is shame and how is it different than guilt. And we kind of have the definition um, after kind of talking about it uh, that shame is really the pain and um, kind of symptom of a feeling associated with doing something wrong. Whereas guilt is that real kind of feeling of responsibility um, and remorse for doing something wrong. So the symptom and pain is that shame and the guilt is kind of like that real act that happened, the more objective act. So my story is two parts. Um, I find that I use shame as a tool as a parent um, to help you know, or make quests do what I want her to do. Um, but then I also feel shame as a father. Um, so I'll talk about using shame as a tool. Um, quest is, um, you know, just like every other kid really infatuated with toys. And, um, when she sees like a commercial, um, whenever we're over at our, our in-laws house or we're watching TV, um, she'll see these commercials pop up. She's like, I want that. I want that. And, when I hear that, I am my almost every time my reaction, I am I go straight to, you know, there's a lot of people in this world that can't afford toys like that. Her her reaction is, oh yeah, you're right. That's um, I, that's so sad for them. I I want to buy that and give it to them, which is the sweetest you know answer that you could think of for a little kid with a nice generous heart and all that. But you know, there's that's whenever whenever I'm shifting that conversation where she's just excited because she saw a toy but then I immediately lay down this this shame game on her of you know you need to you need to not be excited about this because there are people that are poor and you know you should be ashamed of yourself for thinking that you want something you know right so I think that that pairs into the shame that I feel as a as a father I've kind of set up this own, my own like internal and external standard of not wanting to be this middle class and materialism, you know, focused family where, you know, we give our kids everything they want and we buy the cars that we want and we have debt up to our eyeballs and all the, all the things that kind of are that stereotypical kind of American dream. And it like, you know, it hurts my heart to kind of, you know, think about us getting into that rut and I want to kind of protect, protect us from it. But then I, I have this also associated shame for when we do own things. And like my, 
when I when we go downstairs, I feel like we have built a shrine to Barbie, like a <laughs> altar to Barbie. There is hundreds of uh, that's I'm exaggerating. There's lots of Barbie dolls and Barbie houses and Barbie this and Barbie that. And like all these things cloud my mind of like, I feel shame that my daughter is playing with these, you know, f- these, these poor, poorly standard worldly, you know, f- female figures that are not role models for her that she you know, she could somehow pick up this, you know, silly idea of what it means to be, a, you know, a woman or what a woman should look like or what is beauty. And then on top of that, there's so many of them. It makes me think that the, we're in this, like, give her everything she wants. So she has 20 dolls and then for Christmas she gets one more. We don't need another one, you know. But I, I just feel this, like, this shame internally as a father, like I've done something wrong because she has all these toys and so then that goes right back. It's this, this really silly cycle where it goes back to if she on, on her birthday or on Christmas or on, you know, on the, the TV, she sees this commercial for another Barbie. She's like, I want that. I'm like, no, you don't need that. You have too much. You, you, are, you are in the wrong because of how many toys you have. You should feel shame for that. And I try and impart the same feeling that I have internally of pain associated with thinking that I'm this materialistic, you know, idol creating family and then pushing it onto her so that that would change her behavior, which is a terrible tool because I'm using pain and guilt and that just negative feeling to make her associate that with, you know, changing behavior, which is just not right. I need some help. Well, bro, you're not alone. I have said many times to my kiddos uh, when they won't eat their food, do you know how many people don't have food today? (laughs) I don't like this or what, or this or that. I'll say, yeah, other kids in the world, they eat rice and beans every day if they get food that day. And Mm -hmm. they don't get to choose. And, uh, I think, I think you're definitely onto something about shame as a tool, and that being a, a invalid tool. But I think there is a a distinction between helping our kids have uh, gratitude for what they have, yeah, and perspective, um, without being ashamed. Because you can have perspective and say. I have the toys. I have all the toys that I need and other people don't have the toys that they want. But you don't feel shame about it. You know, you can have mm-hmm. perspective and be gr- content and not ashamed. But I think I, I think you can, but I don't. Right. Right. And, and here's the icing on the cake. Then I when I rationalize it with myself about why that's a good feeling and I want to continue doing it as pride and sin does and the flesh does, then I call it conviction. Right. But it's still the exact same thing, right? Yeah. I'm convicted that we have too much material possessions in our house. So I'm going to make everybody feel bad because we have stuff. That's not, that's not conviction. Conviction is uplifting and leads you closer to God 
and causes you to change your behaviors, not judge others and try and change theirs using shame as a tool. It's just, it's silly. I mean, the way that the, the webs that we weave <laughs> to justify yeah. our actions. So true. That kind of leads us into one of our first talking points of looking at scripture and this yeah. discussion, right? An application of shame and then the objective reality of, of having a true guilt. And the first being, Matt, you were able to highlight some things out of some articles that we'll probably be able to post for our listeners in the link uh, to this episode. But but one was this idea that because we are full of sinful pride, um, naturally we're ashamed of those failures and weaknesses. So those expectations we set up for others around us, usually our kids, our spouses, we uh, – have those failures, we have those weaknesses, but we're too prideful to admit them. So we go to almost any length to hide them from others. And so then we end up projecting shamefully uh, shame and other and other things that we shouldn't be doing to our kids and to our spouses. And one of the one of the great passages to look at from the from the beginning of scripture is that passage in Genesis three when Adam and Eve's eyes are open. They eat the fruit. And we'll just read a few verses here from the ESV. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Imagine the, the feeling that they must have had to want to hide from the presence of the Lord that they had previously been able to experience. Mm -hmm. verse, verse 9 comes in and says, The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The relational God that we have had this conversation. Of course, he knew where they were, but he asks, Where are you? And they begin to unravel this shame that they're feeling by saying this, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? That's a really clear picture of what shame does to us, that we would want to hide ourselves from the very cure, the very healing, the very presence of, of God. feeling of shame I want to say is a good thing <laughs> am I wrong to answer is that a good thing or not you made a really good point just a little bit ago where you said you you were contrasting shame and conviction mm -hmm. and I think there is a very real distinction between shame and conviction yeah shame brings uh, consciousness of of the guilt. It's the pain that points to the reality of the guilt, but it doesn't take you anywhere, um, generally speaking. Shame just 
points the the wrong finger and says, "You look how filthy you are." And mm-hmm. whereas God's way is never to just point the finger and say, "Look how filthy you are." It's a look at the filth and call you to something better. Call you to come to him to have it cleaned. Yes. Conviction is different. Um, so yeah, the feeling of shame, maybe for a moment, can be a good thing if it leads to confession of sin and renewed fellowship. But if it leads to disconnection and to uh, self-pity or to uh, self-degradation, um, the shame is is really bad and can really lead to a really bad place. There are a lot of things that we deal with where we feel like we come up short and we can be tempted to feel ashamed. Um, We talked last time about anger. Um, When I have an outburst of anger at my children, I am guilty in that moment of sinning against them. And I feel shame. You know, the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is an objective reality of being in sin or having committed sin, some wrongdoing. And the only way to deal with guilt is through uh, bringing it to Christ for him to deal with it on the cross. Um, And so... Our guilt as Christians is dealt with, but the shame can linger and the shame can cause lots of other issues. And because the shame, like you said, Matt, is just the feeling um, that's associated with the guilt. And um, I can confess my sin to God and to my kids and to my wife of having this angry, wrathful outburst. And I know that I'm not guilty, but I still feel ashamed. And the shame mm. keep the shame affects my relationship moving on, moving forward. It keeps me from being able to freely uh, joke and be close with my kids and with my with my wife. Um, and ultimately, we have to deal with that shame in a biblical way. Um, so what, how do we do that? <laughs> what do you guys think? One thing that I, I gathered from some of the resources as we were preparing for this was shame is there's one of the one of the roots is pride and another root is unbelief. And I think the you know pride is a continual struggle that we we keep at bay and is is worked through um, through the you know God's word and His Spirit. Um, bringing us to humility, I think the but the unbelief part, you know, it's it's. 
I think it's hard for us to associate that painful feeling with lack of belief in God, lack of lack of faith in his promises, because when we truly accept the truth of our sins are forgiven, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we take that, we actually insert it into our hearts, fully believe it without any reservations. There is no place for shame. Hmm. But when there's an open spot of there, well, there's a little bit of condemnation because of that thing that I did last week. Oh, there's a, there's just this thread of, of, of guilt because I mean, how could I be forgiven for what I did 10 years ago? I mean, that's, that's impossible, right? That those kinds of, it, we may not think of it and say it out loud. We read the scripture. We're inspired by it. We pray for forgiveness. We believe it. We 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 use the words. We use the the right. You know, we we feel like we're in the right spot. But in reality, deep in our heart, there's still that that unbelief, that lack of faith, that what God says about us, what He says He's done for us, and that forgiveness and and no condemnation is there for us to completely absorb into our hearts and have it change us so that we can walk free, free of shame, free of the lingering, free of holding on to it. If we can just really believe what we say we believe and really trust in the promises that God's God has for us. Yeah, man. For, for me, one of the biggest uh, struggles I have related to shame might not necessarily be related to, my my sons but as me personally realizing that my sin has been removed i teach that i preach that all the time at church but it's a totally other feeling and belief to know that you know it's one thing to say yeah it's been removed but it's another thing entirely to walk with that and knowing that it's been removed as far as the east is from the west and might be listening or even me saying these words like that's such cliche. It's so simple. Like, Oh yeah, we're all there. We've all been there. But like really truly knowing that um, my sins were paid for by Christ on the cross. And yet I still prefer to carry my sins along with me and the shame that's associated with that. Matt, I appreciate so much what you just said about, uh, comes down to right belief and and you know when we're when we're truly believing and kind of claiming these biblical truths and promises in our lives that's a strong way with the spirit's strength and power of course to combat um you know those big waves of shame that can come over us when um the accuser brings things up in in our lives and he does, and he won't stop until he's finally defeated. So I want to try and bring this home to the using shame as a tool as a parent. Yeah. When we're so we're so we're kind of recognizing shame. Shame has no place. Should have no place in our hearts. Truly forgiven of sin, with no condemnation. Under Christ's power and his sacrifice, we can walk free of shame. Then as a parent leading our child, how do we emulate 
even though they have guilt. If they are guilty of wanting too much toys, how do I remove their guilt and have them walk forward without shame in a way that our Father does for us? I mean, that's the kind of the goal, right? Even though they're guilty, we want we want them to know that they, they can walk forward because of our great love for them, because we were forgiven much so we can love much. They They can walk forward in freedom, be shameless, have no condemnation, not because we've given it to them, but because they also have Christ. Well, I don't know if this is too elementary of an answer or response, but like, how do you teach your kids these things? You um, share with them scriptures that, you know, the words of life. And so these are, these are scriptures that help us when we're dealing with this as dads before our heavenly father and scriptures that help us with our kids. But, um, you know, there are lots of scriptures, um, that speak of these truths that we're talking about. And hold on before you get there, I really want to land the plane, maybe for my, for my benefit, like when, when I, when I go back right to my story where Quest sees like a commercial and she says, I want that. Sure. I guess maybe our, is our goal as parents to recognize mm-hmm. what is conviction and leaders leadership and then, ha- and what is shame? Mm-hmm. How do you deliver, how do you deliver this, the same package of, you know, no, you don't need that. No, that's. Like, don't focus too much on things of this world. You know, the same way that Jesus, Jesus, you know, convicted his followers and through his teachings and talking about, you know, don't be attached to material possessions. And that at some point we need to deliver that, that, that news and that leadership and that parenting to the child. How how do we, how do we navigate telling them that they're wrong without making them feel ashamed of being wrong. One thing that I think really helps, Jesus didn't berate his followers. He shared truth with them. Um, And I know it's tempting. I'm not saying, Matt, you berate your daughter when she wants a a new Barbie, but I know I sure do sometimes, but... (laughs) uh, Berate your daughter about Barbies. <laughs> no, uh, I think um, I've dealt with, I, I have the, some of the same fears that you have of not wanting to be the typical, you know, American dream, materialistic, middle class guy. And uh, uh, it seems like every, I have a seven year old boy who, Every toy marketed to a seven-year-old boy is like, it's like Pokemon or uh, there's the new Dragomons is the new thing. But it's like all these, like every new toy is like, there's millions of them, like, or Beyblades where you collect all of them. And it's, so it's like, there's never enough because there's hundreds of these things to, you know, what is there like 10,000 Pokemon now or something. And he wants every little one. And I've gotten to where when he's like, I want more of these, I'm just like, or he'll see that and say, that's cool. I'll be like, yeah, that's cool. You don't need it. And I just kind of leave it there. And then if if he moves on, we move on. And it's cool. I don't have to shame him or berate him with it. 
uh, if he doesn't move on, he's like, well, but I really want it. <laughs> then we can have a, a gentle talk where I'm like, well, you know, you really don't need it. Like you have these and you should be really thankful for these, you know, and you don't need it. Um, we don't have to cross over into shame. I mean, there are teaching moments where I think there's like a, there's a place to wrestle with that. But I think trying to just share the truth in a gentle way and then allowing the Holy Spirit of God to do the convicting work. I think that's the big thing. It's like I can share it, but if I don't see him buy it right away, I don't have to keep badgering him until he buys it. Like the Holy Spirit's job is to convict. All I I think that, you know, this is like there's like lights going off in my brain. Like the we're, we draw drew the, the distinction between shame and conviction. I think only the Holy Spirit can give conviction. And mm-hmm. all that humans can do is give shame. So if we try to be the Holy Spirit for our children and say, no, you, you've got you to gotta get it and really not do this again. Like, we're only going to bring shame. But if we give the truth and let the Holy Spirit give them the conviction when he chooses to give that we won't be shaming them. We might not get the immediate results we're hoping to get, but we're not going to get those with shame either. Instead, all we'll get is uh, emotional baggage that they'll carry into adulthood. Um, but I think, so, did, so then do you buy the Pokemon? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Nope. <laughs> well, I, that's not true. So for his birthday, we, we, you know, he was begging us for them. So we went on eBay and found like the <laughs> cheapest Pokemon you ever saw from some bootleg company in China, probably. And uh, they're all painted the wrong color and stuff. But oh we got goodness. like 200 of them for <laughs> 10 bucks. And so, you know, they're like only like an inch tall, but. Uh, he was super happy with that. So um, I don't know. Like, I think you, I mean, you can stand your ground and say, no, you don't need it. And now the plane's landing for me. <laughs> okay. okay. So, yeah. So the, let's talk the material possession. This is, this is such a good one to to stick on. We have the control to not allow them to purchase whatever the thing is. Right. At, at some point, at, at some point when they get older, they're going to make their own decisions and you're, you're just going to hope that they're going to make the right ones. But I think it's where we in that control, when quest says, I want that Barbie, I tell her no, but where I don't go is say, now here's the standard of why I said no, that I am placing on you. Right. And I want you to feel bad for wanting it. Right. I can just simply stop at no and move on. Right. Say, no, I'm not, I'm not allowing that. If she asks why, and I could, you know, could say, you know what, that I, let's, let's pray about it. Let's examine things. Let's read this. Let's read the Bible together about this and then think about what does maybe God mean by this, you know, this story or this passage 
and then allow them to have a learning moment on their own rather than us placing a standard upon them and saying, you need to keep this standard and I'm placing it on you. So bear this burden. That's a really good point because I find myself with my expectations or instructions to Lucas thinking, man, like this is, this is what you need to be doing. But like, he has no idea. I mean, like, I mean, like (laughs) he doesn't, he doesn't get these things. And so like, and I can't just sternly talk him into 30 years of understanding these things. So, (laughs) so like these are little, little minds, little brains, and they're, they're incredibly intelligent ones, but like, they don't know this stuff yet. And so for us to assume they do and, and be harsh with them, like, come on, dads, we, we can do better than that. And we also got to be careful that we're not one clouding shame with calling it conviction mm-hmm. and then applying that and then just putting that standard on our kids. And secondly, thinking that whatever standard that we have created is not a shame based standard, but actually a conviction, <laughs> the reverse. Yeah. Where we say, I'm going to try, you know, our kids acting up in a store, we feel ashamed because they're loud, but who created that standard? Our culture and our world did, you know, kids are, are, are amazing and they're loud and they're, they, they have, they have freedom. They, they dance in the middle of stores. They sing songs (laughs) like, and they don't care what it sounds like. That kind of freedom is a no shame freedom that I think we all need and want but then we start plugging in these worldly standards, calling it like this is what it means to be mature and be an adult and be a Christian. But then we're like mixing it in with these worldly standards and and causing shame because of it. And then they grow up and they're like, no, you can't speak up and or you can't sing without hitting all the notes because somebody will look at you funny. Or you can't dance whenever you want to because you're going to, you know, that's not what Christians do or something like that. That that kind of shame that we put on them, then like you said, Brando, that's that emotional baggage they carry for the rest of their life, you know, thinking thinking they're they're always wrong because they want to sing, mm. because they want to dance, because they they want something that would just bring them joy. And we very quickly call it conviction or call it a standard. And I think we also need to just think about our own and really examine is this a godly conviction? Is this a godly standard? If by violating whatever we're putting forth is going to not honor God, then we totally need to stand firm on that. But then when we get outside of, it, are we going to be ashamed because my, you know, our family's singing and dancing in the middle of a Wendy's, that would be a worldly standard and it wouldn't be really right for me to apply some sort of shame and conviction and standard onto anybody for that, especially our kids. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. You nailed it, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm, I think I'm with you, Brando, just lights are popping. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, and there's all kinds of uh, ways that we have to work through these kinds of things. Like, and we have to remember that we as fathers, like you said, alluded to, Cameron, like we are shaping these little minds that don't have a clue. They don't know. 
and we can't just zap them. We, we one, can't expect that they will have all the knowledge that we have, and two, can't zap them with it, and three, can't expect them to get it all at once, right? even if we tried. Uh, my dad used to say to me, the older you get, the smarter I will get. <laughs> <laughs> and he That's was right, good. man. The older I get, the more I realize my dad really had some wisdom. He knew what he was talking about. You know, he told me that at like 13 when I was just starting to be like, you're an idiot, dad. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, we, I, I deal with this with, with Asher. It's like, he really loves video games. I mean, I say that he doesn't play many video games because I don't let him. Because that's the other thing. We have the power as the fathers to to make set rules and, and ga- by, uh, boundaries and guidelines and, and things. Um, just like God does for us. You know, he restrains sin. Um, but, uh, you know, he loves Minecraft and different things. And I always, every time we play it, We'll play it together, and every time we do it, like, he just wants to do it more. And so, you know, we have very strict rules about it. Like, you can do it for 30 minutes on Friday. That's Minecraft Day for 30 minutes. And it's like, um, and I, he'll, he'll tell, he'll be like, can we buy that game? Can we buy this game? Can we buy that? And I'm always like, no, no, we're not going to. And, when he starts to ask me, why can't I play more? Why can't I do more? It's like, because your dad knows where that leads. And I can't communicate that to you well right now because you don't see it. Like, he doesn't see how that's a way to waste your entire life on mm-hmm. frivolous pursuits. He just sees it as a fun thing, mm-hmm. which it is. And so... um Right now, the best I can do is protect him from making the bad decision. I don't need to shame him for wanting to play the video game. or uh, I just tell him, no, no, we're not going to do more than that. And then trust the – I think trusting the Holy Spirit to bring the conviction where it's needed Mm. is like – that's my revelation this week is like – We've been talking about issues in our church, issues with our kids, issues with family. And I'm just being reminded by God in different ways through reading scripture, through just thinking through things, trying to think through things biblically. But like, there's only so much we can do. It's like the Apostle Paul said, you know, one person waters, one person plants, and it's God that gives the increase. We just got to. If we try and force the growth in our kids, we will. It will oftentimes lead to shame because we can't do it. Uh, we, but we can really enforce things harshly. But it it will only lead to outward obedience that doesn't change the heart. We've got to let God change the heart. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> we can only do so much. Yeah. And we got to let him, we got to let him change ours too. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's not the kid that needs to change. It's us. 
Yeah. Yeah. That way we don't we don't use shame as a tool because we feel shame ourselves. Yeah. When he is God is doing that work in us, helping us truly believe what we say we believe, walking forward in freedom, then when we see or when we when we that gives us gives us freedom to allow freedom. Because I've one thing I've found that's that's really tough for me to kind of swallow because it's so true for myself is I am most critical of that which I'm most insecure about. Hmm. And if I'm feeling insecure about being middle class American dream, you know, train wreck, then I'm gonna I'm gonna outwardly be critical about it. Yeah. Oh, I want that thing totally normal for a kid to want a thing that's just everyday right. kid but then i associate that with that that ain't no family of mine you know and <laughs> and uh lay down the shame game on top who's crying i gotta i gotta go check on that <laughs> okay. is crying. dads if you are like us you know we're kind of talking and unpacking this idea of shame uh one of the biggest things for me and i'm sure um for a lot of you uh is is that shame brings the sense of unworthiness Uh, I, i hit on it a little bit ago the idea that yeah we might intellectually believe and sometimes when we're feeling good you know truly know and believe that yeah our sins are removed but boy when shame rears its ugly head we just feel unworthy of god's grace and unworthy of our standing before him uh whether it's with our kids whether it's just us personally the dad life is hard and shame is ugly so wanted to bring some encouragement for us um our sin should bring conviction and a godly grief and repentance that leads to salvation. Second Corinthians seven is a good place to look. Um, that when shame uh, comes along with that grief, uh, it it can just take us down a spiral um, to start believing unbiblical things about where we stand with God. And so, I wanted to share a couple of verses. One is Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verses nine and ten. Uh, Paul writes, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Of course, this passage just captures the beauty of um, it's okay that we are imperfect. It's okay that we are 
inadequate um, because Christ is the perfection. Christ is our righteousness. And when we rest in that, we, we really find rest in him. Another encouraging passage is Philippians 4.19. It reads, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When we're feeling ashamed, uh, when we feel like and we know that we've shamed our kids or our spouses and um, we need the riches of God, he is there to bring it to us. First uh, John 1 9 is one of my favorite passages. It's just the great promise that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And so shame is an unrighteousness. And if we confess that to Christ, um, we can trust his faithfulness time and again into eternity that he will come and that he will forgive and restore and cleanse. Yeah, that first John one nine. Dads cling to that. We talked about how uh shame is the pain we feel from the guilt. And so the best way to deal with shame is to recognize what how we deal with our guilt. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. He's faithful to do what he promised, and he's just because he won't charge us for what he's already charged to Christ. And if we confess, he will forgive the sin, which takes away the guilt and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And when we believe that, the shame should be cleansed away as well. So, time for Can't Let It Go. For me, my Can't Let It Go is uh, just um, kind of a, a, a challenge to us as fathers and a challenge to us as um, Christian um, dads, men, hopefully leaders in our communities and our homes uh, in the area of um, patriotism, nationalism, and our citizenship being in the kingdom of God. Um, I think it's great to be a patriot. I think it's great to be patriotic and to be uh, just so grateful and thankful for what we have in this country. Um, but uh, what I see that uh, that uh, kind of is concerning is this marriage of uh, Christianity and the American way and and just the fear that comes with thinking if the country goes a certain way, my faith is ruined or my Christian life will be stripped away from me or um, I will have no hope as a Christian if a certain party takes over the country. That we just have to remain firm and steadfast in the truth. And the truth is that Christianity was here long before our country was and will be here long after our country is not. And uh, just recognizing that our citizenship is kingdom of heaven and um, not the U.S. of A. Bro. 
You're going to get kicked out of the country for that, man. So are you saying we shouldn't care about our country? No, I'm going to go hide. <laughs> but whenever the Bible talks about by his stripes were healed, they're talking about the like stars and stripes, right? <laughs> Matthew? Hey, don't you know that if my people will call on my name, I will hear and heal their land? Yeah, how's that Babylonian exile treating you, Brando? It's, it's been treating me real rough, my man. Oh, bro. But hey, he has plans to prosper me. <laughs> to prosper you. That's right. For hope and a future. Oh, man. <laughs> My can't let it go is the same as it has been for a few episodes. Uh, I'm just, I see these memes on Facebook of um, like, uh, where the guy's like, something happens in the news and then it's my family on uh, Facebook and it's like, oh, look. The rapture's coming tomorrow. Um, I'm just, I'm growing weary of end times proclamations and uh, prophecies. But, uh, you know, this isn't an uh, eschatology podcast, but. Yeah, but, you know, we, we did. It should be. We, we talked about it, and I think what's important maybe for our listeners to kind of hear is when we came down to, like, really boil down the conclusion, it's be ready. That's the message about end times that right. everyone needs to know, right. and Jesus made it clear. That's the thing. Be ready. That's our, that is the call for us to do, not to know why, not to know how, not to know when— but to be prepared for it to happen at any moment. And what is being prepared look like living a holy life, honoring God, working with being empowered by the spirit to be sanctified, grow in our righteousness, be restored by him and to um, live as kingdom people and not people of this world. That way, when, when the, whenever happens, happens. We are ready for it because we're we're ready for the kingdom because we're acting like kingdom people. Tell you what, that's a good word. Yeah. And if you want a little perspective, different perspective on the end times, um, listen to a post millennial describe what what is happening today. I, I, I listened to a pretty popular post millennialist recently say he was asked the question, do you believe we're living in the end times? And he said, actually, I believe that we are still in the infancy of the church on earth. And when I heard that, I was like, whoa, because the person who asked it was premillennial who thinks, who thinks the sky is falling and, and everything's right around the corner. But this, this pastor responded with, you know what, I, I think we're still in the infancy of, of the church on earth. And I don't, uh, obviously that could, that could be true. It could not be true, but it was his perspective and his opinion on, on the end. But man, if you want a perspective change from pretty much everybody around the corner saying the end is near, the end is near, which they've been saying for 40 years and have been wrong for 40 years, uh, 
you know, you've got that other perspective out there that says, you know, it's year 2000 AD. Uh, call me when it's 25,000 AD, you know, just that perspective of there's a lot to be done still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Brother. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's why I, I just want to live in a, in a, I, I, it's not, well, I'll be honest. It's, I want to live in this mindset, but I think it's the biblical mindset. I think the biblical mindset is Jesus said, we're not going to know. Uh, and he said, be ready. And he said, have hope because he's with us. So I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to live in constant looking around er- under every rock and around every bush and every newspaper looking for the end because Jesus didn't tell us to live that way. And it's a way that is so stressful. And I, uh, I just, um, yeah, I want people to trust God. I think it takes, it takes, uh, I think it takes more faith to not know what's going to happen and just trust that God has it under control than to have a, a timeline telling us exactly how it's going to work out. That's the same with parenting. Like it takes faith to trust that we're going to do what God told us to do with these kids. And we don't, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We got to trust God to, to make it work right. And in he hasn't necessarily given us a step-by-step instruction plan to make it turn out right. We just got to do uh, what we know to do and trust him and not overthink it. And it's coming full circle. Another lack of belief root. Boom. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to Abba Father Podcast. You can connect with the like-minded community at facebook.com slash Abba Father Podcast. Also, if you were encouraged by this podcast at all or any of our episodes, please share it with others or review it so that others can see it when they're searching for God-honoring parenting resources. And also, we want to ask you to be supporting your local church during this pandemic and other times, especially as we're away from our congregations. Your local church needs you now more than ever, and your support to them will keep them going. So please do not forget about them and support your local church. But also remember, dads, Romans 8.15, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, fall back into shame. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. See you guys next time.